campus this morning. It's good to be get together, and I know we have lots of folks that are watching online as well today, probably more than we have in the weeks past, but we're glad that all of you are here together, whether online or here in person today, and here to worship, and I love that video that started out that talked about our small groups, and small groups are such an important part not just of this congregation, but of any congregation. Now you say, well, maybe you're visiting and say, well, my congregation doesn't have small groups. Well, you do, whether you know it or not. In one way or another, there's some, whether or not they're official, every place has some in one way or another. Today we continue on talking about unsung heroes. And unsung heroes are those folks that don't get the attention that maybe they should get. And, and we've been talking about different folks in the, in the, in the Bible for the last several weeks. And today, because of that idea of small groups, we're talking about small Christian communities as one of the unsung heroes. Now you say, okay, well, small groups, yes, but I mean small communities of believers that come together in so many ways, do so much for so many people, and they don't always get the credit for it. So today we think about that this morning, and we think about that from that scripture reading you heard this morning about Peter that kind of left you hanging there. If you don't know the story, that story, that's where we're going to. Obviously a real event that happened inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the whole thing is. But Peter was in prison, and we're going to see how Peter gets out of prison, and then what God does with that. In Acts chapter 12, and verses 7 through 11, the Bible says, Then the angel said to him, Put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that the angel, that the, what the angel was really doing. He thought he was seeing a vision. And they passed the first and the second guards, and they came to the iron gate leading, leading to the city, and it opened for them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and he said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent this angel or his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. Have you ever had a dream that you thought it was a dream and then you woke up and realized it wasn't a dream? Can you imagine what's happening to Peter here? I mean, he's not supposed to get out. What are the chances of Peter getting out? I mean, honestly, they're just about, none, about zero whenever you're in prison and then you're chained to two, to two soldiers or, or guards that are next to you. And so now all at once this is happening and he's thinking, is this really happening? And sure enough, it was really happening. And he finds himself standing out in the middle of the street that God was at work in an incredible way that no one would have imagined, that no one could have explained, but that God was a part of that. And the church was in danger, in terrible danger. Obviously, you know from that reading this morning, you know that already that there has been one man, James, that has been killed, one of the leaders of the church has been killed for his faith, for preaching. Can you imagine being killed because you were wanting to preach about Jesus? And now here Peter is. Obviously, it will be execution that will be coming for Peter a little bit later. But to imagine you would go to jail for that. Can you imagine going to prison this morning because you showed up at this service? I can't help but as I speak about this this morning, think about the church or about Christians in Afghanistan. We don't know much about those in Afghanistan as far as faith goes, but from what, the, from what we understand, there are about 10,000 to 12,000 people who believe in Jesus as the Messiah in Afghanistan. 
They have already said from reports that they have sent out that when they have answered their phones, they have gotten calls from the Taliban that have said, we're coming after you. They're telling Christians there, don't leave your houses, don't go out. Because, well, we all know probably what's going to happen. Can you imagine danger like that? I pray that that kind of danger will never come to the United States. I pray it will never come here. I pray that we'll always have this freedom and this liberty to, to preach and to, and to come worship as we choose. I pray for that. But I know that it may not always be that way. That it may change because there were probably centuries past in Afghanistan. They would have never imagined that happened. And I pray it's not like that. But at the same time, I can only imagine the faith that Peter and James and the church had through all of that. Now here you have Peter, who is the prisoner, and he's been put in chains. This man who at one time, you remember, had denied Jesus and said he didn't know him. Now Peter is in prison, living and standing up for his faith. And so it's interesting that they put him in chains, and the Bible makes it very clear that what they would have done is they would have had chains around his, arm, around his wrist and then chains around his feet as well. And now he's chained to these two different soldiers that somehow, somehow make sure that he can't leave. Well, chains are put on a person for obvious reasons. One of those reasons is to guard them, and that would make sense. We all get that, but there's more than that. Chains are also put on them in order to shame the prisoner. Often in those days, whenever, a, whenever an army would be captured and then they would, uh, they would be taken back into prison, they would file that army or even those criminals through the city in chains so that they could, everyone could see how shamed they were for being caught. And as, while they thought that they were important, they thought they were valuable, they want everyone to see how terrible they are and shame them in front of others. So part of the reason that Peter would have been in, in chains was to shame him for preaching about Jesus. And then there's another reason, and it is literally to torture Peter. Those wraps that they would have put around their wrist and around their ankles were, from, from what history tells us, so tight that any time you moved, they would go into your skin, and they would, they would hurt your skin and your bone, and they would work into the bone, actually, that they would be so tight around you. Now imagine whenever Peter tries to sleep, and if he tries to move over to the right or to the left on one side or the other, you can imagine the pain in his hands and in, in his ankles. But it's not only whenever he moves. It's when one of the soldiers moves as well, he feels that. So he is standing for his faith. He is living his faith. He's being tortured for his faith. He's being shamed for his faith. As he's in prison on that night when God does what no one would imagine, and God finds a way for Peter to escape. In Acts chapter 12, going on in verses 12 through 15, it says, When this dawned on Peter, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called John Mark. An easy way to say that is he went to John Mark's mother's house. Her name is Mary where many people had gathered, and they were praying. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. 
this is really a funny scene, isn't it? Except it's really serious. So Peter's at the door. He's escaped from prison. He realizes that God's got him out. He runs to this house, to Mary's house. He knocks on the door, and Rhoda comes. Oh, it's Peter, and she runs away. You forgot to unlock it. Can you imagine him kind of yelling, but at the same time trying to whisper, Rhoda, get back here. Rhoda, get back here. As he's trying to get her to open the door, but she's, she's too excited to open the door. So Peter, Peter stands there in the middle of nowhere. Well, God can surprise us sometimes with what he does. I'm not, I'm, I don't know exactly how God works. What I know is that none of us know exactly how God works. There is some reason that we pray, right, that we believe that God can do more than we can imagine. After all, that's what the Bible said, what the Apostle Paul said, that God can do more than we can imagine or dream or, or whatever. And so God is at work, and probably every single person in this audience, if we were to take the microphone around, we would find out that all of us would tell about a time when something happened that we could not explain. The doctors couldn't explain it, science couldn't explain it, logic couldn't explain it, nothing would explain it except we would say somehow God was involved in that. That God can do things that we can't imagine. There may be a man chained in prison, and there God is at work. Because what God does defies logic. God is beyond our human logic. As much as we want to put him in a box, God is not going to be in a box. God can do more than what we can imagine. God can create the world. He can think the world into existence. That's how incredible God is. But I love what's happening here with the church, that they don't believe that it's Peter out there. Here they are praying for Peter, and they don't believe it's him. You know, it reminds me of those old stories that you used to hear about back in the old, olden days in the farming community. Wouldn't have rain. They'd be in the middle of a drought, so they'd tell everybody, go meet up at the church house, and we'll have a prayer meeting, and we'll pray for rain. And everybody gets there, and they start praying for rain. And all at once it starts raining, and then they realize no one has an umbrella, right? Isn't that the way we are sometimes? We don't really trust God, even though we pray to him sometimes, we don't really believe what we're praying is going to happen. And so go on, going on in the story in Acts chapter 12, verses 16 and 17, it says that Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and they saw it was him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. Can you imagine what this scene must have been like? They open the door, it really is him. Peter, it's you. How in the world did you get out? Peter, what was it like? And probably Rhoda was over on the side saying, I told you it was Peter, I told you it was Peter. You know, the whole time she's saying that. And, you know, and, and people were saying, well, what was it like whenever you got out? You know, what did God do? Did you see the angel? Did he have wings? You know, what was it like? And asking all these questions. And probably some of the folks were, because they thought he was a ghost, probably some of them were poking him, you know, Are, is that really flesh? You know, what is that? Ouch, stop, stop doing that, Peter might have said. Now let me, everybody quiet down. Let me tell you what needs to happen. Go and tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this because he's got to leave because he's not, from what we understand, he is not, but like 100 or 200 yards from the prison, it would have been close to where this house probably was. He's got to get out of there, but he's got to tell them some things. Which leads us to think about the Christian community. That the Christian communities or Christian communities serve many purposes. Obviously, what, part of what we do is we serve people. And so when we talk about Christian community, part of what we're talking about is this congregation you could call the Christian community, for sure, as a whole. 
But then there are also smaller parts of us that come together, and we still all serve, and we all serve a purpose. And you see, one of the very first things that the Christian community serves is how they serve is they pray. This group got together at Mary's house for the purpose of praying. There is something powerful about praying. Right now, we have an electronic prayer list, as you know, praying for those that have COVID right now and just the whole situation in the world. And folks are signing up, and you pray at your house, and that's great. But there is also something pretty powerful about people coming in together into the same room and praying. Remember those days when we used to talk about, if, if you go way back there, Wednesday night was not Wednesday night Bible class, it was Wednesday night prayer meeting. The idea of people coming together to pray... And much of what our small groups do when our official small groups on Sunday night is they get together and they pray. There's something strong about praying to God and taking our cares and our hurts and our our praises to God and praying to him and sharing those things not only with him but the people who are in the room hearing those things. And here this group is that they're all praying together and praying for Peter who's in prison and God is about to do more than they could have ever imagined God was going to do. Now, there's also another purpose. There are two or three here I want to list today, but one is they give spiritually stressed people a place to go. Well, let me tell you right now, if you are not spiritually stressed, you are either super Christian or you are not Christian, is my guess. You are one of the other. Because we live in a mess, don't we? We live in a mess. I mean, think about this world. Turn on, turn on the news. What a mess we live in. There's fighting and war and fear of fighting and war. And there's COVID and there are people that on this side and that side. And there are politics that get people going this side and this side. There are people who hate each other that write across to each other on websites that have never even met each other. I mean, we live in a stressed out world. Sometimes it feels like someone is trying to stress us out. I know for one who is, I mean, obviously evil and the devil has to be behind something like that, but it feels like there are people that just want to stress us out. Everybody needs a place to go. Everybody needs friends. Everybody needs that. It is the way God has made us. And we don't even think about all the issues that we have just going on in our lives that have nothing to do with politics or sickness or war or any of those things. There was a study that was done by a researcher in the western U.S. a few years ago. It's not on your screen, but she did a meta-analysis, meaning a huge analysis of 148 different studies and found this out. I thought this was fascinating. People with a solid group of friends are 50% more likely to survive at any given time. People who have friends are more likely to survive by 50% than the person who has no friends. So some of us in this audience, for example, we have wandered in, and maybe you've been here a week or two or three, and you go in and you say, well, yeah, okay, I'll give it a try. Church didn't really do it for me. Memorial really didn't do it for me. Whatever you say, and maybe there are various reasons for that. And I pray that this is just the friendliest place and and most biblical place you could go. But I understand sometimes people have different things they do or what they're looking for. But at the same time, I pray that that's the way we are. But you may still say, you know what? Yeah, I didn't, you know, somebody talked to me, somebody didn't talk to me. I don't know. Back and forth we could go. 
And we just wonder why that didn't work. Let me tell you why. It's not, I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but I am a little surprised. But somebody has studied research, or, or studied, yeah, they've studied research. They have studied friendship. Here's an interesting study that was finished just three years ago at the University of Kansas by Dr. Jeffrey Hall on friendship. It takes, on average, and I pray we do better than this as Christians, but it takes, on average, 40 to 60 hours to move from just knowing a person into a casual friendship. Their study showed that on average it took 80 to 100 hours to become a really good friend of someone. And it took 160 to 200 hours to become a best friend of someone. So I want you to hear those numbers. Those are interesting. So I, I go to worship and I go once, okay, so I spent an hour. Oh, I go three times, and still, I don't, I don't know, I don't have a connection. I spent three hours. Maybe that's why I don't feel the connection, because I haven't put the time into it. Part of what happens whenever you're in smaller groups of people, even in our Bible classes, which in many ways function as small groups, when you're in those, all at once it speeds up things. You start getting to know people, there starts to be conversation. And here, it's really hard to have conversation because some guy at the front talks most of the time, right? So it's hard to have that interaction with each other the way we would like to have it. And it's hard to get to know people whenever you're in a worship service because you're focused in a different way. But somehow, when we are in smaller groups of people, there are ways for us to get to know each other. Now, these are two of the reasons why small groups exist or or christian communities exist there is another very strong reason here and it's that they are to tell what god has done did you see what peter said whenever he goes to mary's house and he meets with that little group of of christians who are meeting at her house what he says is go tell james and go tell my brothers and sisters go tell it is not just to get together and eat nachos now, nachos are good, believe me. Even as I get older, I kind of like the jalapenos on them even when I used to not do that. But it's not about just getting together and watching the game or eating nachos, although that can be part of it. It is about telling people about Jesus, that Jesus is resurrected, that God is alive and well, that God is still to be worshipped, that Jesus is still resurrected from the grave. Do you remember whenever, a few weeks ago, we talked about Mary Magdalene, and do you remember whenever Jesus was resurrected from the grave, and Mary Magdalene is standing there, and Jesus talks to her, and you remember what Jesus said to her, right? He said, go, go and tell the disciples. Go and tell my brothers that I'm resurrected. Go and tell. I was reading a, a preacher this weekend, uh, this week, uh, uh, in a, a, a magazine article, where the preacher said something that was so strong, I almost didn't even tell you, but I'm going to tell you. He said, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he did not say to Mary Magdalene, go and tell my disciples that someday they can go to heaven and see their relatives again. What he said was, go and tell my disciples that I am resurrected from the grave. Now, is there heaven? Well, absolutely. Are we going to be there? And I hope I've never been there, so I hope we get to see people like that again. And that's all wonderful. Don't misunderstand me. But that is not the purpose. 
The purpose is to tell people that Jesus is raised from the grave and call people to relationship with Christ, to become disciples of Jesus. That is our purpose. And so part of the purpose of whatever Christian community, if you talk about the church as a whole, or talk about our small groups, some meet on Sunday nights, some at other times, and some in different ways, the purpose is still back to that, that we have this relationship with Christ and with each other, and that we are somehow talking about our faith and pushing our faith out so that other people can hear about Jesus. All of that is part of why we do what we do. Now, here's another interesting thing about this small community that Jesus was a part of, or that, excuse me, that Peter was a part of. Peter knew where to go. It wasn't like, wow, now where do I go? You know what the problem would be if you were to get out of prison, for example, one night, and you came up here at two o'clock in the morning, there wouldn't be anybody here, right? There might be. The Hedwig Village police would probably stop by. Hey, what are you doing in there, right? He knows where to go. This must be where the church meets or where at least a small group of Christians meets on a normal basis so he knows where to go and you talk about about this group they are praying it appears in the middle of the night this is either really early in the morning or this is really late at night and they're there praying you talk about commitment to what they're doing here the group they must have just kept praying all night long and now here they are they are committed to God And they are committed to Peter. Now, they don't understand how in the world God is going to do all this, but they're still going to pray anyway. There is something powerful about Christians who help other Christians out. That is commitment, right? And so when you think about our small groups and stories I hear about folks in our small groups, they're incredible. I hear things like during our big freeze we had, when we had about 60 families that that lost something, some were very devastating, uh, had very devastating damage to their houses. And they said, we would have never survived without our small group. Do you know why? Because their small group, that was the group of people who was over pulling out, uh, pulling out the, the ceiling or whatever to, the, to their houses. Those were the groups who were helping them repair and take their furniture out if, if it was destroyed that's who it was. It was those small groups of Christians who were doing things like that. Or people saying, boy, when I had a prayer request and I had a need in my life, didn't feel comfortable going to the whole church like that, but I sure could go to that small group of people who understood me. There is something so powerful about those types of groups. And so most of ours, as I say, we, we have a group that meets here on Sunday night, I always preach, many of you are part of that, many others are in small groups around the city in various places, and some of you meet on different nights. We have all kinds of small groups that meet, we just don't always call them that. Ladies Bible class is a type of small group, we have one larger and one smaller of those groups. We have other groups, there's another Bible study that meets here on Monday nights, it's a small group, it's called Bible study, but it's a small group. Some of you in your Bible classes, they're really kind of function as small groups. We have a group of mothers that mentor. That's a small group. We have some folks, we had a marriage mentoring group for years, and that kind of went away, but some of those are still together. It is a small group. We have faithful fathers, dads that get together to talk about being better dads. It's all that leaning on and doing Christian life together and honoring God 
and helping each other. It's all those things that are put together. So you say, well, where do I go for help? You know, I hurt for folks who have nowhere to go. Yesterday, Barbara and I were in the car. We were listening to this program on the radio, and we were listening about a person who was in some terrible financial straits and what was going on in their life and nowhere to turn and what was going to happen and the legal battle that was about to happen and somebody was going to, uh, was going to sue them and lots of things that were happening and evict them from their, from their house and all. And, and I turned to Barbara and said, they don't have a ch- this woman doesn't have a church home. And she, said, and she said, yeah, I can tell. Because there's something very powerful about having a church home where we at least try to help each other. We may not be able to meet every need, but what we do is we try to help people who are in need, whether it be physical or financial, or obviously when it's spiritual. But some folks are trying everything else in the world except depending on God. So they'll go to drugs, they'll go to alcohol, they'll go to video games even. What's wrong with video games unless it takes me to the wrong place? We'll go to the internet. It's fine, as long as it doesn't take us to the wrong place. We'll do all these things except filling the void with the very thing that will fill the void, which is God himself. And so what small groups are supposed to do, whatever type of small group of Christians that is, is to fill that void and help us be in relationship with Christ. You know, the church really is a group of small groups that comes together on Sunday to say we are not fighting this alone. Some of you feel alone. You may be in your office and you are the only person, as far as you know, that professes Christ at all. Some of you, maybe that may be your case in your school. I don't know anybody that believes in Jesus. I don't know anybody that talks about Jesus. You may be in a small group and you may have three or four people in that group. You may have 10 or 15 and you think, wow, are we the only ones? And then you come on Sunday morning and you see all these folks together. You're watching online and you can see these folks together. You can hear the singing and you say, we are not alone exactly what God did for the prophet. Do you remember that when he felt all alone and said, you are not alone. So we all come together for these kinds of meetings on Sunday, just as God wanted us to do. And we profess, we believe in God. We believe in Jesus as Savior. We believe that he died for the sins of the world. We believe that the grave is empty. We believe that Jesus is coming back. And we profess those things to each other and to God. And now we have the strength to keep going through the week. And those little groups encourage us. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. I'm struggling, but I'm going to make it because you're going to pull me and I'm going to pull you. We're going to do it. Jesus and his people aren't here to judge you. You say, wait a minute, Jesus, judge. that's final judgment. But I'm talking about right now. What we're here to do is to help each one of us along the way. Now, if we're suffering or dealing with sin or dealing with something that's wrong, well, we want to help you deal with that sin or what's wrong. But guess what? We might be dealing with a sin or something wrong, and we want you to help us deal with our sin as well. We're not going to stand here and say that we're perfect because we're not. And so we may need you, we may need God to use you to help us see our issues so that we can get closer to God and more like him. So it's not that we're here to judge you, but we are here to live with you and to all get closer to God and to all become more like Christ. 
rather than stand where we are right now, which is sometimes far, far from Jesus. We're here to help. Just to help. We love people. We love God. We want God's people to know God. We want God's people to worship God. We want people to put God first. And we want to put God first. If all I do is come to the worship service, I'm glad you're here. I'm truly glad you're here. But if all you do is walk in and walk out and never create those relationships, you will miss out on one of the greatest blessings you could have had. Wow, I just think about one of the reasons I'm a preacher. It is because of the people who have been in my life through those Christian relationships that encouraged me, the times I sat in their houses and I studied the Bible, the times I've gone, uh, gone with them to ball games, the times that we just sat around and talked about nothing, the times we talked about our hopes and our dreams. Those are the relationships that can be created when we get involved. But otherwise, coming in, going out, you're going, I don't see what the big deal is. And I get why you don't see what the big deal is. Because you miss that. This morning, if you want to be baptized into Jesus, I pray you will be. I pray that you will let him wash away your sins in its place, give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, make you a part of his kingdom, a part of his family. And if you need prayer today, of course we want to pray for you. You can come down forward and pray, or you can write to us at elders at mcoc.org, and our elders will pray for you. What we want is we want to be that family that works together, that looks like Christ, that helps each other down the road. Come this morning as we stand and sing.